I'm recording this from an undisclosed location where mobile phone reception is patchy. Well, I know it's no use. They can still track me down and listen to my every conversation, follow every keystroke I make on my laptop. What about you? Is some faceless agency spying on you? Are you being watched? Shh, quick. Sorry, I've got to go. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, this is it, people. The last Signs of the Times radio episode for 2018. And, of course, we like to finish with a bang. So, in the studio, I have with me the dulcet golden tones of Mr. Daniel Kuberek, assistant editor of Signs of the Times magazine. How are you, Daniel? Good, thanks. It's funny because sometimes you'd say going out on a high note, but today we're really going out on a low note. Because <laughs> <laughs> your voice has lovely low notes. Is, is that what you're saying? Oh, I'm talking about your voice, Kent. <laughs> well, Daniel, you, you had the job of laying out Signs of the Times magazine every month and selfishly you <laughs> decided <laughs> again to put your own article on the front cover and your own article there in the center spread at page 32. But I have to say it's it's actually a worthy selection. I think all, all ego aside, I, I think you, you actually made, made a good choice. You know, it's a very striking front cover to the December uh, Signs magazine. Are you being watched with a very large eye looking looking out at you i mean this was supposed to be the you know the christmas <laughs> magazine it's a, a little less christmasy than possibly it it sh- it should have been but um look there's there is christmas stuff in there but now that it's after christmas i mean it's all bar humbug now isn't it you know so <laughs> yeah so let's let's focus on the serious issues but yeah are you being watched looking at electronic surveillance and all this sort of stuff that people have been worried about in uh, particularly more in recent years but why out of all the topics in the world, Daniel, did you decide to explore this? Well, before writing that article, I was actually thinking about on a social media related topic. Mm. And then I started thinking back to what I'm passionate about. And and this is certainly one of them. Since I've been a kid, I've always been fascinated by the military. I've always watched World War II movies, modern movies, Mm -hmm. uh, movies like Black Hawk Down, Saving Private Ryan and these sort of things. I've read so many books on war and, and all this sort of stuff. One of the more recent ones was actually uh, a book, an autobiography written by the, one of the SEALs who shot Osama bin Laden Oh yeah, on yeah. that raid. And that was really interesting. So part of that is we're seeing more of an aspect of surveillance coming into that. And, you know, obviously the main war that, you know, most countries are fighting right now isn't the one out there in the battlefield. It's the one on terror. And a huge part of that is trying to predict and prevent terrorist attacks from happening, which is where this whole surveillance thing comes in. A few years ago, there was a TV show called A Person of Interest um, that I used to watch. I think it was released around 2011, and it went for quite a few years. Essentially, the premise of the show is that after 9-11, the US government installed a machine. They got a guy to build a machine that would tap every single surveillance camera, every single computer, everything. And Mm. as such, uh, it would be able to 
see and predict terrorist activity before it happened. Mm-hmm. So, but, so th- this is fiction, huh? Yeah, it's a it's a fictional show, of course. But, but, but it's one of those things where truth is stranger than fiction. But then all the people who may be about to commit violent crime that isn't terrorist were sort of falling by the wayside so that the person who originally created the machine decides to recruit someone else and they decide to go out and start preventing those crimes from happening. So that's the premise of the show. Mm-hmm. But it's funny so, because... So, so it kind of almost gets into the idea of, well... It, you know, if you could predict that someone was going to do a crime, wouldn't you like to stop it? Yeah. Well, yeah, of, of course you would. But on the other hand, I mean, you know, all of us have, you know, sort of dark thoughts from from time to time about, oh, I'd like to strangle that person, but we wouldn't necessarily follow through. And I guess it's that idea of thought crime, really. Are, are you? Go- I haven't even done anything yet and I'm going to be punished for it. Like, what's the go with that? Yeah, there's a there's a book and a movie that's very sim- on a very similar sort of scale. It's called Minority Report. It was directed by Stephen Spielberg, yes. which is again Tom Cruise, yeah, which was about preventing crime before it happened, and then the ethics of that, like, well, if the crime hasn't happened, is the person really guilty of anything? But anyway, so that show came out in around 2011, and mm. it was around about 2013, 2014 that these leaks happened by Edward Snowden, mm. and I was, I was think I was in high school at the time, mm-hmm. and. To be honest, it didn't really surprise me, but it was, you know, quite shocking to hear how much the US government was tapping into its own civilian residents' everyday lives, really. Mm-hmm. So so just just to summarise, Edward Snowden worked for the NSA and uh, you know, yeah. America's National Security Agency and various other US intelligence organisations and basically blew the whistle on the fact that, hey, do you realise that the US government has this software that is basically capable of tracking your every email, your every keystroke, and they can tap into your webcam on your, you know, on your laptop or on your phone. And he sort of made explicit what people had sort of long suspected and basically, you know, had to leave the country and, you know, dive for cover to avoid being arrested because of that. Yeah, exactly. And because of that, the government has been very sort of wary of whistleblowers. You know, the government was essentially burnt that a, a subcontractor was able to take all this information and then be, give it to publications like The Guardian and whatever who were there and able to distribute it. Yeah, People would debate Edward Snowden whether or not he's a freedom fighter or if he's a traitor because the government at the end of the day says that all these measures that they're taking to survey the public are in the interest of the public. And now that these programs are known, it's going to prohibit that from happening to the full extent that it can. Mm, or, or at least discourage it, you'd, you'd hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That it's now that potential government's enemies are going to be aware of it. That's an argument that's used quite often. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how, how you feel about the man, people have a right to be informed when their private information is being accessed, I think. Mm. Well, I, I guess the the question is, do they? Because obviously, you know, the sort of language that is used to justify these sort of technologies and, and these sort of changes. I mean, like right now, or just recently in, in the Australian Parliament, you know, they passed these uh, laws that will allow intelligence and law enforcement agencies to have, um, you know, to demand, legally be able to demand access from tech companies, you know, like Apple or like Facebook or whatever, to hand over encrypted information, hand over pins and passwords so that those agencies can gain access to, to the communications and 
the, and the information. But the language that is used around around these sort of new laws is that, hey, we're trying to stop crime, we're trying to stop terrorism, you know, you've got the dark web where there's all sorts of, you know, drugs and human trafficking and all sorts of stuff going on. Why wouldn't you want to give us the power in, in order to do that, you know? And, and when we watch these sort of forensic TV programs or read a spy novel or, or whatever, we're incredibly impressed and amazed at the techniques and the strategies that they use to surveil and to gather information. And we think it's amazing, but I guess we never think it might be applied to us. Yeah. I think part of that as well is whether or not the public had a real say in approving these sort of programs. Like it was back before these leaks. One of the things that Edward Snowden credited to the fact that he took the information and leaked it to the press was that the, I think it was the head of the CIA or NSA Mm. was sat in front of a Congress and was asked if they were surveilling the mass public. And he said, not wittingly, and essentially lied in, in front of Congress that the government wasn't in fact doing this when they were, which was what Edward Snowden credited as the, the moral sort of issue that the people had no sort of say in this and yet the government had allowed itself that sort of power mm. and even the okay. mid-tiers of government or upper tiers of government weren't aware of it. Yeah, well, okay, well, now that we know then, Daniel, I mean, there, there are plenty of people who have said, and, and I've had it, I've said it myself, I said, look, far out, you know, if, if you're a security agency out there and you've got nothing better to do than to, you know, track my text messages to my wife saying, hey, do we have any tomatoes, you know, at home? Do you want me to pick some up on, on the way home? You know, love you lots, kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> if if they want to, you know, read all, all those sorts of messages, well, then they're very welcome if, if they've got nothing better to do. So a lot of people say that, you know, I've got nothing to hide. It doesn't worry me. If, if they want to waste their time looking at my communications, pff, who cares? Yeah. What, what, what do you say to that? Well, that's a very interesting sort of sentiment that I see around the place a lot. I think that's fine because we, we know that, you know, 95% of the people out there, if not more, are clean and innocent and don't have any sort of terrorist intentions. But yet everybody's information could be tapped at any given moment. I just have this stat here that 70 people of the American public said that they believed the government was using surveillance for purposes beyond anti-terror. That's 70%, was that? Yeah, which is a very interesting thing because, yes, while we might have a democratic government at the moment in Australia, New Zealand or in America or wherever that is strictly using it for those purposes, that information is not going to be dissolved or go away. What if there was a government that came into place that took power that wanted to abuse that? Or what if the current government wanted to do that? What's the sort of ethical issues around that? Because then what if it's not about surveillance for anti-terror purposes? What if it's about surveillance to track down government opponents or people who are minorities, people who, you know, perhaps because of their religious beliefs. That's Mm. one of the big ones that we're worried about as Christians, because there are places on the planet where people are persecuted for their faith. We may not believe it here in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. I'll just Mm. list off a few of the countries that have it. North Korea is number one for most persecuted Christians, Mm, followed by mm, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, and Libya. Mm. So, and and those are just some of the top 10. I mean, there's, I think, you know, there's some statistics that suggest that in the majority of countries of the world, there are people who are suffering for, you know, for whatever their religion is, you know, whether we're talking about Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, or whether we're, you know, talking about Christians in in Saudi Arabia, or even one lot of Muslims, you know, hassling another lot of Muslims, or yeah, it can be pretty tough, and it's actually quite widespread. Yeah, exactly. And it's again, it's hard to believe 
that here in Australia that that would happen or in New Zealand rather because at, mm. you know so far we've been able to live a sort of fairly comfortable life and I say that not putting a brush stroke of everything because there there are religious freedom a lot of religious freedom issues that we have in Australia mm. a lot of them are deba- being debated right now you know a lot of Christian groups are lobbying for the fact that there aren't specific religious freedom laws in place mm. to protect Christians yeah yeah you're right, yeah, because I think currently in, in Australia, like I was talking about this with uh, with Roy Williams just a, a couple of episodes ago, he's saying, you know, there is no Bill of Rights uh, in Australia that says, you know, you have freedom of religion in this country. Basically, freedom of religion is sort of an assumption that's built in into uh, our law and there and it's expressed through various exemptions from anti-discrimination acts and, and things like that, but it's, uh, it's not a sort of a principle that, that stands there on its own. And and I guess, you know, like you do say, Daniel, um, there does seem to be an increasing sort of hostility towards religious faith in, in some sections of society, probably, you know, within um, mainstream media, within uh, academia, you know, that, those sort of areas have been... Uh, targeted quite often and accused quite often as being increasingly hostile to religion. And those sectors of society are the sectors that sort of set the tone for public debate and uh, lead the way in terms of public sentiment. So yeah, if they're increasingly anti-religious, then you've got to wonder, okay, well, what, you know, what are the implications of that for, for broad public attitudes? Yeah, exactly. So essentially the connection I was trying to make between religious freedom and mass surveillance is because there is a few verses in Matthew 24 that talk about a time when religious freedom won't exist and people will be persecuted for their faith. Hmm. Namely verse nine, if I can read it out, it's in the article as well. Yep. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Mm. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. So that's a very interesting verse. One verse after that does give a final hope, which says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mm-hmm. But we see the world, the way the world is heading right now. We yeah. see that it's more and more like that I mentioned in the the article, the book 1984, where everything that everybody is doing is being watched and any sort of opponent of the totalitarian government is being hunted down. Mm, mm. Um, Is this where the phrase, you know, big brother is watching you came from? Yeah, exactly. That was 1984, wasn't it? So obviously in in the 90s, that was sort of uh, (laughs) appropriated to make a reality television show, you know, big brother. But yeah, the original idea is there for 1984, this sort of all seeing eye of surveillance that, you know, even passes the laws against thought crimes and, and, you know, that's some of the sort of stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. When I went out and did street signs, which is what our little section after a certain article, each issue where I go out into public and Vox Pop, which is, you know, interviewing random members of the public about what their thoughts and concerns mm. are about certain issues. Yeah. Well, what did they say? A lot of, a lot of people sort of didn't really make the connection. You, you talk about surveillance and they're like, yeah, you know, it's not good that they're the government or, you know, whatever entity knows everything about me. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not comfortable. But then when you when you ask them, but, you know, hey, the Bible says about a time when people are going to be persecuted, people don't really make that connection initially. But they, when they think mm. about it, they're like, hmm, yeah, actually, that is that is actually quite concerning, isn't it? Mm. A lot of people are, are aware of these things. Again, going back to my little book of stats, 87%, shortly after the Edward Snowden leaks, mm. 87% were aware about government surveillance. 25% said they had changed their online habits since Mm. the Snowden leaks. So obviously they're 
those are the people who are concerned about it to a point that they would potentially not post things on Facebook, not post extreme political opinions or I, I don't know, whatever it might be that they, or, you know, even photos of themselves or whatever. Mm. A lot of people these days, it's a popular trend to put a sticker over your webcam, just not just because of government surveillance or whatever, but, you know, the rise of online hacking and whatever. Mm. Kent, you've, you've put a sticker over yours. Mark I do. Kuberg has put one over his. I do. And, and, and that happened um, because, you know, I watched a documentary one time and there was this hacker convention and all these people who know a heck of a lot more about computers than I do all had, you know, stickers o- over their webcam on their laptop. And I was and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, I just cut off a little square of electrical tape and put it over there. It peels off very easily when I want to, you know, Skype family members who are interstate and then I just put it back. But you're right, you know, Mark Zuckerberg does it too, apparently. And so that that's interesting. You know, if anyone would know, surely surely he would know. So it, it is quite fascinating. I mean, it, they say that in Silicon Valley these days, um, all the, the mums and dads there who, you know, work in these multi-million, billion dollar tech companies all uh, send their kids to schools where they're not allowed to, you know, where they use very low-tech sort of learning aids and at home they're not allowed to have smartphones and all this sort of stuff. I mean, some of that's about parenting and psychological development and, you know, kids being addicted to screens, etc. But obviously part of it is also concern about electronic surveillance and like any of those devices can be a window into your life and a window into your home. So I guess if people like that take it seriously, then I think, well, hmm, maybe we should too. Yeah. What concerns me is there's so much naivety around these days, especially around the older generations, the younger generations may be more aware of just how not in control we are of our own information. Mm. Okay, so if you're using the internet, your IP address, anyone can track down to where you are pretty much to the to the suburb, even to the street, just based off of your internet address. And that can be shown publicly online. It's very easy to access. Mm. If you're putting things on a hard drive, even if you format the hard drive, even if you delete everything off it, like multiple times over, someone with, you know, one program can go in and recover any file because it's like it was described to me by my eye teacher in high school. When you delete something off of your hard drive or your computer or anywhere, it's like putting dirt over it. It's not, it's just like burying it a little bit. It's yeah. not actually... A shallow grave. Yeah, it's not actually getting rid of it. So the only way you really can get rid of it is to destroy said hard drive. Mm. Physically destroy it, like with, with a hammer, with fire, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, there are VPNs out there for, for internet use that, you know, hide your IP address. But, you know, there's also talk of VPNs handing over people's personal information. So can you really trust them? That's another whole little debate. Mm. We are in so little control of our information. And yet we managed to put all of our stuff up there. It, it's about educating people that you're not in control of your information online and you should be careful. But that being said, another one of the moral dilemmas we, come acro- we came across when I was talking to some people during street signs is, should you then, knowing that you know there will be a time when Christians are being persecuted and, and whatnot, mm. should you then take yourself off of the internet? Should you try and stay away from expressing any sort of love of, of Jesus or whatever yeah, on your go, Facebook. Go, go analog, to, um, you know, ask your employer to pay you in cash and close down your email accounts and start writing letters. <laughs> 
Yeah. There are certainly there's certainly an element of um, you know, believers out there who who believe in this sort of approach to sort of take themselves off and be, become preoccupied in a way with with watching what new developments there are and mm. government surveillance. There's, you well, know. it's it, it's hard to find a balance, isn't it, Daniel? Because you're saying most of us are incredibly naive, but then you're saying don't be paranoid. So, what well, like what's the what's the right balance to to take there? Yeah, that's the thing, really, isn't it? Because the Bible does describe, and I mentioned again this in the article that mm. the the gospel will be shared to all nations, and really that our use of technology has made that possible that, you know, our use of Facebook and all the information we put up is reaching people who might not know Jesus. And it, mm. it really is, it's, it's a tough one that, you know, people have to evaluate for themselves personally, mm-hmm. I think, because all of us use the internet quite a bit. It's crazy when you really stack up the amount of screen time we all have, how much of it there really is. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's a really tough personal question to ask yourself mm-hmm. is, what is what you put up online? Do you really want it to be used against you? Because it, it may well be anything you put up, anything you do on any sort of electronic device can be accessed at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I, I guess the first thing is to to have the, the correct attitude about it, eh? Because mm. um, like you say, you know, t- taking a, a spiritual perspective, y- you can live in fear, but I don't think that that's the sort of thing God wants us to do. You know, the Bible again and again points us to hope for the future, even though it warns us. And I think if, if something, you know, challenging is going to happen, we need a warning. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing, you know. But having said that, the Bible always points to hope. Um, says, hey, you know, in, yes, while you might be worried about what's happening in the future, there are people around you who, who need your help, you know, so reach out and, and help them, uh, help them while you can, you know, because time may be short and to keep that connection with, with God strong because you're going to need that to be strong if, if things get tough. I mean, I think that stuff is important, but also, I mean, just from a pr- totally everyday practical point of view, I, th- I think you're right. You know, not many of us are going to just unplug from the internet altogether, just go off the grid and, and disappear. You know, most of us are going to continue engaging, but surely there are some some sensible sort of everyday easy things that we can put into place that, that will help us. I think in your article, you actually gave some tips about, you know, locking down your privacy. And I, I imagine it starts with things like, hey, you don't give out your address or, or your mobile phone number on social media. You, you don't put photos of your kids and then put their full names and ages and and things like that. You know, you, you don't want to give that sort of identifying information. What what else would, would you suggest? Well, I absolutely agree with, with that. Like like I mentioned earlier, that 25% had changed their online habits since the Snowden leaks. That's the correct attitude to have leading up to this sort of stuff. I think one of the ones that I've put into place is I've installed a VPN. And now... Well, it, sorry, what, I'm not really techie, Daniel. You, you, I've heard these letters before, but VPN, DNS, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. Help, help me out. So a VPN is this sort of piece of software that you install on your computer, which hides where you're using the internet from so that mm-hmm. you can't be tracked. So, right. For example, on my VPN, I can change my location to Switzerland so that there's no one that can li- know that I'm you know, using it from from Sydney and whatever. And, and does that make it easy to access your Swiss bank account? Don't you? <laughs> yeah. It, a lot of people use it like Netflix overseas and whatever. And there's people use it for piracy. And that's obviously mm. uh, a hotly de- debated one, whether or not that's ethical or yeah. not. Yeah, um, I don't think it's actually illegal yet, is it, to sort of pretend like to change your VPN to Canada and then access the Canadian version of Netflix, you know, using your usual login and you can access a whole bunch of new shows that you wouldn't be able to. I don't believe that's illegal, 
But is it ethical? That, that's what you're um, alluding to there, well, isn't it? The VPN itself is legal because, you know, you can use it. People use it for a variety of reasons. It's what you use it for that can be illegal or not. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's a whole different topic. But anyway, there's really, I'm a big advocate of the fact that people should think about what they're posting online and assume always that someone outside of your friends list is going to be seeing it or could potentially see it. But there are yeah. some practical steps, like for example, going into for your Facebook privacy settings and making clicking friends only on everything because mm-hmm. you'd be surprised, but some people actually still have public Facebook profiles where any photo they post of themselves on a, a, a beach, you know, being scantily clad or whatever is being public. That's, Guilty, Your Honor. Yeah. But well, except for I don't normally post scantily clad <laughs> photos on the beach of myself, but I do, I, I keep things public and I guess partly that's because I think, well, you know, we, we're, we're making a magazine, you know, I've done some television work and there are people who aren't sort of friends of mine who may see me those ways and, and want to sort of connect. So for that reason, I, I have kept things public, but I guess I, I need to be aware that comes with a risk because certainly I do get regular friend requests that turn out to be spam and, you know, all, all sorts of dodgy stuff. So yeah, you, you've, you make a good point there. Look, it absolutely you can do whatever you want to, you know, you're a free man, but it's a matter of just making that little consideration before you post anything. Like even if you do post a public, because I have Twitter and my Twitter is public, everything I post, I think to myself before I post it, like, is this something that I would be cool with people looking at me and looking up my profile and seeing, hmm, is, this is a representation of, of mm. Daniel. Uh, and, and then I guess you've got to think your mum might be looking or, or perhaps a, a prospective employer, you know. Yes, they, they get your resume. Yes, they contact your references, but they also have a quick skim through your social media profile. Yeah, exactly. And that can be incredibly revealing. And it, it's funny because this goes into a whole different argument about, you know, how we portray ourselves on the internet. And obviously with what we do post on Facebook, government agencies can potentially know more. They know what we Google and, you know, that's, mm. there's, they, they can know more about us from that. But Yeah. Actually, one, one thing I have done recently, uh, Daniel, I don't know if you think this is a good idea, but I've switched my my web browser for, like I used to use, you know, Safari or Chrome or, or whatever. I've actually switched it to um, an, another one called, no, sorry, no, Google. It's instead of Google search, I now use one called DuckDuckGo, and mm. I'm sure there are plenty others too, but um, the promise of DuckDuckGo is that we won't track you. You know, we, we're not here to see what your interests are, so then we can then send ads to you on, on that basis. So I feel that gives me a little bit more independence. So yeah, that's one, one thing that I've done. It's really interesting because yes, the, that can be promised to you, but again, you is that's a promise made by an online entity that, mm. you know, you're just going off of a promise of from people you don't oh, know. Absolutely. It, it's not a 100% ironclad guarantee, but you know, surely doing something is better than doing mm, nothing. I absolutely agree. That was one of the people who I interviewed for Street Science said that you know, that is a, a successful sort of measure that he uses. But ultimately, I think the, the most strongest point that I can hear that sorry, I've, I received from anyone that I did Street Science with was Gavin who said, I think my relationship with God is good enough that it'll be a shallow judgment compared to what God is. A shallow judgment being if anybody's watching what he was doing online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he knows a lot more about me than that one snapshot of me. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because ultimately at the end of the day, all the activity we, we have online does not reveal who we are deep down. Who we really are. Oh, I mean, it can, it can be very revealing, but uh, but I see what you're saying. I mean, I think Gavin was actually talking about in his wild youth, you know, like 20 years ago, he has some sort of photo, you scroll down, you see some pretty compromising stuff there from way back in the day, but he he has this strong relationship with God now and he feels like, hey, it's sorted out. 
Hey, well, look, Daniel, you've, you've given us so much to think about, some practical tips as well as some more sort of, you know, philosophical and, and even spiritual uh, sort of concepts there for, for us to work through. Thanks for writing the article so much. And uh, yeah, thanks for being a part of Science for Times Radio today. Hope your new year is fantastic. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners who, who listened throughout this year. Hope you guys have a happy new year's and don't shake in fear. Hopefully we haven't instilled any sort of panic from our podcast today. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 